in your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 15. And let's just establish some things. Now, the job of the kingdom, the job of the church, let's say it that way, is for you and I to be strong. Point to yourself with me and say, hey, you, get strong and be strong. Weakness is a killer. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. If you know who you are in the Lord Jesus, he cannot do it if you know who you are and act on who you are. But he's come to take everything. Make no mistake, he, uh, if he could kill you, he would. And lots of people he has. Uh, there's all the people that uh, in the Laura storm, and I'm not disparaging them, but I can just tell you, they just didn't know enough to turn that storm back for their house. I'm not saying they could have saved the whole coast or anything, but it would have went over my house. It would have went around my house. And we're, like I said, I'm not disparaging those good Christian people, but you got to be strong. And our job in the kingdom is not to have a Sunday obligation. That's what one group of religious people say about their Sunday. I'm performing my Sunday obligation. Well, you can sleep here this morning or you can, whatever you do and, and be here and the Lord can count you present. But if we don't be strong, we missed it. So our job is to be strong. And the Lord gave us two things in the word, the New Testament, to to make us strong. First of all, he gave us the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He gave us the Gospel. What, what is in the Gospels? Well, we're going to read supernatural things. But the Gospel is the good news that God loves you. That's what the Gospels are. Jesus is pointing to the Father, and he's demonstrating heaven. And, and the whole theme of that is God loves you. He's talking to men that are not born again. He's the He's the only one that has the truth, and they're all just uh, pretty hamstrung because he's revealing a new kingdom that's coming, but they're all in the old covenant. But he demonstrates that, and so uh, he's telling them, God loves you. But the epistles are not that. The epistles are for the saints. The epistles are saying who you are in Christ Jesus. So once you, and be careful hearing this, once you get born again and are on a course to be strong, most of your time will be in the epistles. It tells us how to have church. It tells us how to conduct the kingdom. It tells us what our limits are and tells us what we should be doing by being strong. The epistles tell us who you are in Christ Jesus. And when you know who you are, then you know what you can do. Well, Lord, can I cast the devil out? Well, you need to know who you are. You're a devil caster. <laughs> Amen. And uh, it, it tells you what you can do. What you are tells you what you can have and what you can do. Well, does God just like poor Christians? Well, we need to know. We need to know what our limits are, what our jurisdiction are. If he doesn't like rich Christians, well, then we need to throw it all off because we want to be pleasing. We want to be good Christians. But when we read the word, my God shall supply all your need. When we read the word that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? That you through his poverty might be made rich. So that tells us who I am. Tells us what we have. 
tells us what we can do. So we stay in the epistles. We always skip over to the gospels because that's where God loves us. But we keep that pretty established, or we should. So we know that the Bible says in Galatians that faith works by love. Faith works by love. Say it with me. Faith works by love. You can't, you can't work the faith uh, kingdom until you've worked the love kingdom. So you have to, I have to, we have to believe. Listen, you have to believe that God is fiercely for you. Not casual, not uh, happenstance. He is fiercely for you and me. That every day when you put your baby blues on the world and put your little feet on the floor, he has already got a plan for you to prosper, for you to win, for you to put over the devil, for you to be a share of the good news, to be a light in the darkness. My God, that's who you are. But that's my God. That's who we are. Amen. We are way makers. We are promise keepers. Because as he is, we are, so are we in the world. So uh, we have to believe. You, you will only work. Faith works by love. You will only be able to do the kingdom successfully if you believe, when you, if you are set in cement, that my God is fiercely for me. He's equipped me, and he's, he's, uh, I have an unction from the Holy One. I know all things. Every moment is controlled by that attribute. God is fiercely in love with me, and God has already worked it out. If you don't believe that, like, oh, I don't feel like God loves me. My prayers can't get through this brass heaven. Then you're in trouble. you got to go back to the Gospels and say, God loves me. And that's where you find out uh, about that. So being cherished, being cherished as a child of God. Are you a child of God? We are. We're sons and daughters. Being cherished is the power to receive life. You only are able to get life into your life to the level or degree that you realize I am cherished, not tolerated, not put up with, not God's not mad at me. Well, the church is doing this and not doing that, and we're a pitiful lot. <laughs> no, I am cherished. I am esteemed. I am valued. I am sought after in the Lord. If the truth were told, I'm his favorite, but, but you know, you, you could make that argument as well. I tell my mother I'm her favorite, and she does not appreciate it. She's, she doesn't get along with that, but uh, I do it anyway. I aggravate her anyway. So uh, the Gospels are the testimony of life. The Gospels show heaven's intent. So Jesus did miracles, didn't he? Why did he do miracles? Because it changed people's lives supernaturally. If they could get changed without the supernatural, then he didn't need to do miracles. We would just set up a soup kitchen and a clothing uh, uh, closet or whatever, and we just help people naturally. But he went past that and helped people supernaturally as a demonstration, as a demonstration that God loves me. God loves you and God loves me. So it's not about survival. We as Christians are not surviving. Well, I made it through another day. I'm coping. How are you doing? I'm coping. I'm getting along. I'm, I'm making it. Well, the world says that. The world says that. 
And so if you want to lump yourself as that, then you're going to not be cherished or loved. Your faith is not going to work because you don't know you're loved. You don't know if God's going to show up or not. You don't know if he's, if he's out working for you or if he's busy over there with somebody who's real needy. God's not moved by need. God is not moved by need. He is moved by faith. Faith that works by love. Faith that's based on God loves me in Jesus Christ. So if you get that straight, you're good. But all these things are elements that the church generally doesn't understand. So they're working with a lot of things that are just stories and just uh, uh, separated and, and uh, individual events. And they never tie it together. What is the theme here? Well, the theme is God loves me and he's equipped me to win. I'm just like Jesus. Well, God's working on me. No, he isn't. He already worked on us. We got born again. I'm working on me, but God's not working on me. He did his part. So our goal as a church to be strong, to be strong, to be strong, it's, it's corporately we come together and we gather and we have testimonies. It helps us to hear testimonies of one another. Because like I said, God's no respecter of person. So I hear what he's done for Wendy and I say, well, I, I need that. But I haven't accessed it. I haven't stepped out there, but God did it for her. Step up, sign up. Uh, so my, our goal is being strong is to be able to help other people get set free, to be able to minister without hesitation. Just as soon as you see someone, the Lord said, go heal them. Doesn't, the word never says go pray for them. He says go heal them. He healed the sick. He didn't pray for the sick. Is that right? So, so our goal is to be spontaneous, that we're instant in season and out, that when someone has a need, when the Lord speaks to us and says go and do, that we are without hesitation because we know it's the best thing that could happen in our life to have God for us. It couldn't be better. Well, Lord, do you have a better plan? Let me check in and see if that's really the best I can do is what you're asking me to do. Once you know God loves you, cherishes you, oh, esteems you, values you, it's like, whatever, Lord, I'll do it. So in Matthew 15, let's look at, let's look at some of this gospel business. We're going to do gospel today. Chapter 15, let's look in verse 22. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Wow. I don't know if today we know when people are grievously vexed with the devil. They just say they're bipolar or they're, uh, they're you know, whatever, whatever. It's the same thing. It is. That is being grievously vexed with the devil. Those, those things. But she knew it. She was a Canaanite woman, a Syphoenician. She, she, she was so far from being Godward or being in the group of anybody that God esteemed. But she knew when her daughter was vexed with the devil. That's because they'd seen it a lot back then. And, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, <laughs> isn't this interesting? Send her away, for she crieth after us. Lord, we're uncomfortable. Would you send her away? <laughs> uh but he answered and said, I am not sent. What he was saying there is, I'm here, but not for you. I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm here, but not for you. Now get that in your, in your 
I feel good today. Someone tells you, I'm here, but it's certainly not for you. I got power, I got love, but it's not for you. So, she's in bad shape. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I managed to put these in order. I got them all over the Bible, but then I, I went back and stacked them up in order. So we just got to turn east every time. Mark 5, let's look in verse 1. It says, And they came over from the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and by the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Would y'all say this is a desperate situation? Let's turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Let's just slip right into that chapter. In verse 22, And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, the Lord Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Desperate situation. Let's look in verse uh, 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians. Does anybody know anybody that suffered many things by many physicians? Here we are, we're, we're in the modern day, and we're still suffering from the practicing of physicians. Not blaming them, just saying it's certainly not a science. He had, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Let's turn to Mark 6. You're right there, verse 35. We saw three hard situations bang in the same chapter. Bang, bang, bang. Chapter 6, verse 35, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. I think we could say that was late in the evening. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? So, a hard thing, a hard situation. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 45. You know, this is in the Bible, it's in the Gospels, but it could be today. We'd change a few words, we'd change a few uh, uh, things to make it applicable, but this is this is today. There's nothing different. Uh, it plays out a little different, but uh, the song is the same. For even in verse 45, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Let's see. Yeah, here we are. But to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So here we have Jesus saying, "God loves you." I am the demonstration. You don't see it. You don't know it. 
but I am the demonstration that God loves you. And they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Let's see how far. Let's see. And when he'd heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Let's go to John chapter 5. A little Bible drill this morning. John chapter 5. Let's look in verse 2. Would you all say these were all desperate situations? But they're just like today. Desperate situations around you. Your neighbor likely has, is whoever they are on each side or whatever, is dealing with some very challenging issues with their children, with their parents, with their bodies, with their finances, with something with the IRS or some trouble. Most people are dealing with some kind of trouble, but they put their coat on, they put their shoes on, and they step out, and they look normal. They look, you know, they, they look like it's just okay, but it's far from okay, and it was far from okay in this day. Verse 2, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market or the sheep gate, a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means grace or mercy. By the, by, uh, uh, the gate of five porches was the grace gate. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Isn't this interesting? I mean, this is a one account of this aspect of the kingdom. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now, I, I just thought, I, I meant to look it up, I, and I got distracted, I guess. But people didn't live all that long back then. A lot of people in early America, uh, men lived to be around 42 to 45, and women lived longer than that. So when you've been sick thirty-eight years, is my point, you're just about done. Most of his life is the point. And Jesus saw him lie and knew he had a word of knowledge. I said he had a word of knowledge. He, he was not operating as God who knows all things. He had a word of knowledge, just like you and I can have one. That he had now been there in that time, in that case, a long time. And saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, now, here we come, right here. Sir, I have no man when the pool is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another step it down before me. Now, did you notice he didn't answer the question? Church, I want to tell you something really important. I, I, we're, we're not going to minister on this, but I want to tell you a real important principle. Is don't allow your, your, re, your rationale to put a reaction, a program reaction, 
to an action. You know, the IRS letter comes, we talk about that all the time, and the reaction is, oh my God, they're going to take everything and I'm fixing to go to jail and, and everything because you know what you did and all that. That's the reaction. But I've got checks from the IRS. How about you? How about you? Anybody got a check from the IRS ever, ever, ever? Well, y'all need, need to change your, your ways then. Hallelujah. But let's talk about this just for a moment. Just because the doctor says you have a symptom doesn't mean you have a disease. Just because you're low on money today and the house rent is due on Thursday doesn't mean you're in any more danger of not making that payment than if you had two or $3,000 stacked up and your payment's only 500 There is no correlation. There is no heavenly uh, a, a line from what's happening to what will happen. I understand there's experience. I understand there's memory. I understand that there's a pattern in the world that that is it. And in Job chapter 3, verse 25, very important. It's, Job says, the thing I feared most, what? Has come upon me. And so we are programmed in America, all over the world, we are programmed to think in terms of fear of the most negative, the most likely to hurt us, we people instantly go, oh my goodness, this is going to happen. And the thing you fear most comes to pass. But what if we could change our thinking that says, that's an obstacle, that's a situation, that's a, a challenge, but it doesn't mean anything to me because as he is, so am I in the world. And greater is he that is in me than he is that's in the world. And my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. And, and by his stripes I am healed. What happens to that reaction when we have an action? It defines us. It's defining you right now. That very thing is defining. Because in the world you'll have tribulation. So there's always something presenting itself saying... Will you take the bait? Something's always saying, will you say according to what has been said? You're in trouble and you say, golly, I'm in trouble. That reaction takes you straight to the result of the reaction. But what if we just refuse to say it? And in 2 Corinthians 4.18 it says, why we look not at things which are seen, but those things which are unseen, not seen. Well, what if we had an automatic faith reaction? Well, then they would say of us in heaven, she's strong. She's in charge of her mind. Her soul is subject to her faith. He sees it, but he ignores it. He waits on the word of the Lord to come up and rise up, and that's what he says. No more reaction like the world. A faith reaction. This is real good. This can change your life. If you just think about all you've done even this last week where somebody said, I'm not going to pay you. Somebody said, I don't think I will. Somebody said, this is, this is going to cost you. This is going to trouble you. This is going to, you'll have to live with this. What if we just said, no, thunder no. Put your word in there if you want to. And just say no. 
I hear what it looks like could come, but just like a tornado or a storm, it's going over me or around me, but it's not coming near my house. That's who we are. Now it's like, okay, here's how Christians do it. They hunker down. They hunker down and say, it looks like I got cancer, but I, I'm going to believe God. No, you're not. Cancer's already a mile and a half down the road, and you just found out it went by you. You're not going to catch up. Generally speaking, of course, if you have people around you and you just, you, whatever, but I'm not saying never, but I'm just saying you're already behind. Have y'all ever let some marvelous opportunities to agree with symptoms go by and not say a word? Have, oh, let's go look that up on the internet and see what this thing is or that thing is, and let's see, let's see what we probably have that we need to stand against. I don't say it's too late, but I'll say that's late. You need to just say, thunder, no. That's not, that's not coming into my body. Lack is not coming to my house. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, period. Not if this and hope not. Oh, my car broke down. We won't be able to make the rent this month. What? Just cuss. God will forgive you. Just cuss. Just, just let out some, a string of stuff and God will say, I pay no attention. But to say, we're not going to pay the rent this month, you can get forgiven, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt not to pay the rent. And what are you going to do with the rent that's due next month? And none and none and none. We've got to know who we are. You've got to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know what you have, and you don't know what you can do. Keith Moore said it, but I'm making it mine. Devils are afraid of me. He also said that when the devil has his heel on your neck, just tell him I'm winning. And keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut until you can turn the gate like they do on railroad tracks, you know. They'll go down there and change the track so instead of going east, it goes west at the, at the, at the Y. We got we to gotta have a little bit of time to change the track because the track's trying to go trouble. And we got to go over there and change the track before we say a word, before we have a thought. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 16, he says, take no anxious thought saying. So, yeah, we think it. Yeah, we, we know mama died of that. We know we, this has happened before. Last year we, that happened and we couldn't pay the rent. We, we have a reason, a rationale, a platform for saying what we normally say. But it's not going to take you anywhere except down that track. So you got to change the track and then you'll say, we're having none of that at my place. We're having none of that. These symptoms may have come, but they're not, they mean nothing. I could quit right there, but that's just a little side note. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 3. I've been wanting to preach that for a long time. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, whatever that is. And a certain man, so this is a real man, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, 
Would y'all say that was all his life? Was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Why? To ask alms, to beg of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. Now, that's the pattern. That's the experience. That's the culture. That's the protocol. When you don't have legs or that legs at work, whatever, he was impotent. He was uh, lame, it says. That's how they did it back then. You, you begged alms, and you did that to survive, to cope, to carry on, to make it. He was in bad shape. Let me quote you Romans chapter 4. I just turned there. You're, you're not doing anything else this morning. Romans chapter 4. I, I hope you have a star on chapter 4, verse 21. 20, excuse me. I, I, I would just mark all of Romans chapter 4 from uh, verse 13 on. But in verse 20, it says uh, of Abraham, our father, he staggered not at the promise of God. Now, right there, that tells you that there was some things to make you stagger. There was a temptation to stagger. What was his stagger opportunity? Well, he was 100 years old, and God had said he was going to have a son, and Sarah was just about as old. He wasn't like, well, let's just go get young self, and we'll see if we can make this work. He said, no, you got to do it with Sarah. He already tried the Hagar thing, and you all know that didn't work out. We're still not working out with that little situation. But Abraham, it says he came to a place, he got things lined up, he, he, he sat down and meditated the situation he was facing and the promise of God. And he didn't just get along and say, well, I hope God's right, but the Bible says he staggered not. It was a staggering promise. Now, I'm here to report to you this morning that God has some more staggering promises for you and I. And you go, well, I'll, I'll take a few of them. Well, the doctor may say that you're going to die. But the promise is, by his stripes ye were healed. It's a staggering promise. You could stagger at the symptoms. Almost everybody does. Almost everybody does. They hear the symptoms, and then they say, well, what can I do, doc? Well, it's chemo, it's radiation, it's, uh, it's we're going to take this out of your body, this bladder, this whatever. We're going to take it out, and it, you're going to have this. And there it is. You got staggering prognosis. And you got one little verse in 1 Peter 2.24. By his stripes you were healed. It's overwhelming. Well, I, then you look around and say, well, who else has been healed? Well, not that many, Lord. Everybody else went in for the treatment. Everybody, good Christian people. People that even said we went to MD Anderson, God sent us there because we went up and down the halls and got people born again. So God put cancer on me so that I could go there to MD. I mean, just wild doctrine begins to rise up to confirm and affirm that uh, well, your situation is Godward. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, through unbelief. So what are we working against? Unbelief. It's everywhere. But was strong in faith. That's what I want to be. I want to be strong in faith so that when the staggering news comes, I don't stagger. That I stagger not. You go, well, what, what, what kind of news is coming? All of it. Steal, kill, destroy. 
That's what's coming. You go, well, not me. We're, we're believers. Steal, kill, destroy. He has come to take you out. And he doesn't want to just kill you. He doesn't want to just come up and stab you with something, and there you go, you plumb, you go over, and they have the funeral on Wednesday. He wants you to die as a Christian in front of your children and neighbors to nullify the covenant, to make an example of you that this stuff doesn't work. And guess what? We've all fell for it. At some time in our life, we've all fell for it. Like, this is hard. I got cancer, and it's hard. I got... I got MS. It's hard. It's not hard. But just when you're staggering, it's hard. Now, we're talking about the line that we're moving towards. Are y'all moving towards that? I am. Some days I don't move very good. Some days I'll tell you for sure I even move back. I'm ashamed to say, but I don't feel like I could handle it. It's not true. I'm just talking about feelings. Y'all have feelings? Sure you do. Well, let's go on verse 21. He says, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, had God had promised, being fully persuaded, being in agreement with what God had said, he was also able to perform. That words weren't standing alone, that God's word was good. That what he said was what he was, and what he said is what he would do. Now, there's just no light between them. Not like, well, there's a little, little light between them. No, what he said is what he'll do. That's stagger not faith. Yay. So we asked it last week, is you ready, ready? If you were laying by the pool of Bethesda and you were whining, let me just tell you, this man was whining to the Lord Jesus. The Lord said, would you be made whole? He said, well, I don't have anybody. And everybody, every time the pool's... I see it troubled. Somebody else that's got legs. You know, they might not have an eye, but they got legs, and they jump in, and there it is, a big splash, and the angel takes out. He's got a PTA meeting somewhere, and he's got to get there. So it's like, that's not what the Lord asking, and that's what I'm talking about, action and reaction. He said, would you be made whole? And he immediately reacted to weakness, reacted in impotence, reacted into 38 years, reacted into everybody around there that also couldn't get in the pool. He reacted, and he was done. He'd been, he'd been trying to get in the pool, and it had never worked. Why? Because he had a mindset that was not fully persuaded. Because the covenant was in force then. Jesus didn't make a... He made a new covenant, but the covenant of healing was already in the Old Testament. It's all over. It's all over. We're reading about it or going to in there. So you got to go where you stagger not. That's what I'm working on. You know, it might take me, it might take someone five days to get where they say, okay, I got myself together. The news was staggering, but I got myself together and I, you know, I told all my family what the doctor said, and I, I put it on the prayer chain at church, and, and I'm on the board now down at uh, First Church, and put me on the board, and get me, you know, get me help. I need help. Ah, Jesus is your help. If he sends somebody to be that help, yay. But uh, there is no help apart from him. Amen. So is your ready, ready? 
Are you strong? Well, you, we'd all say, I could be stronger. Doesn't mean you're not strong, but you all could say, I could say, I could be stronger. I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling. I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing. Every day is a new challenge. Every day you get up and you go, what is that? That wasn't here yesterday. Steal, kill, destroy. He's a 24-hour devil. He's good at what he does because he's been doing it a long time. You hadn't been doing it that long. You hadn't been in faith that long. You're, you're less than 70 years old, everybody in here, including me, by the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. So is you ready, ready for the water that you're sitting by? So if the Lord was going to send an angel down and be troubled, are you ready? Have you already made up your mind? By stripes, I'm healed. I have no one to take me down to the prayer chain. We don't have a good church in my town. Well, why is that? Because I'm sure he moved you. I'm sure he said move to where that church is. I can hardly tell you how many people have died or been incapacitated because they locked down and said, God knows where I am. If he wants to heal me or if he's got help for me, he knows where I am. And they just think God's that way. God said, he's so practical. He says, move. Well, I don't know anybody there. And my knitting club is over here. And, and move. That's good stuff. Turn back to Matthew chapter 15. Let's get the end of these stories. Let's get the end of these stories. Because sometimes we only hear about the part that I've already read. The part of the trouble, steal, kill, and destroy. You and I could fit ourselves into every one of these stories in some measure. Maybe not actually blind, maybe not actually our daughter uh, 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 vexed with an unclean spirit, maybe not demonically controlled like the demoniac, but it's a form of steal, kill, and destroy. It hurts. It's meant to take you out. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 27, looky, looky. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. He just said, I'm here, but not for you. She had, a, she had a response to the troubling of the water. She didn't just say, Lord, I have no one to, to help me in. She said, even, 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 I can touch God. Just give me a crumb and I'll be satisfied, but don't leave me without touching me. And Jesus answered and said to her, because he always responds to faith, he always responds to faith. If you need something from God, God always, unequivocally, without hesitation and without fail, responds to faith. You cannot get in faith and not get something from God. Now that's the period, that's the truth, that's the whole thing. If you'll get in faith, well, do you do it this way or do you do it that way? Well, I, you know, so-and-so, they won't preach the truth. My preacher won't preach the truth, and I'm hamstrung. If you'll get in faith, you'll get it. You don't know what to do with your life. You're just not in faith. Ooh, that was a little tough. That was a little tough for sure. Let's say it again. If you don't know what to do, you're just not in faith because God's telling it. God's telling what to do. He, he knows I'll just go to that scripture right now. It says in 2 Kings 7, 1, it says that, uh, uh, we'll get to it more, but he, the prophet said, about this time tomorrow, 
I told you all last week, we can know tomorrow, but you got to get in faith about it. Oh, today, today, today. I'll be strapped with this. I'll be hung up with this thing for months because the doctor and the, and the car company and all that stuff. I don't have a job. You've got to get in faith. You've got to stagger not at the promises and just say, well, that sounds awful, awful big for little old me. I'm not little old me. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of righteousness. I've been, I've been refathered from above. I'm not who they say I am. I may have done what they said I did, but I am not who they say I am. Yay. Well, we're going to go back to this, Matthew chapter 15, verse 27, or I'm not going to make it. You know, we've got to make it. So uh, she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Verse 28. Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. She was a Syrophesian Canaanite woman. She had no basis for faith, yet, yet, she wouldn't let Jesus get away. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. She got in faith. Can you get in faith? Can you get in faith? Yes, we can. Let's say it together. Yes, I can. Now, you're lazy? Well, you might not get in faith. Are you covered up, busy? You might not get in faith. Are you a little, are you a little negative, a little pessimistic, a little, uh, uh, you know, you, you're just like your daddy. They say, well, you're just like your daddy. You always make an excuse. Well, you've got to change that and get like your daddy. Mark chapter 5. No, yeah, Mark chapter 5. You're, let's move to Mark chapter 5. Let's, let's, Michael, move along here. And they be, this is the Gadarene guy. Uh, I think we're in verse 6. Yeah. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. This, man's, this man is full of the devil and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I got to do with you, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. It's those devils talking right there. And uh, verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Let's go down to verse 15. They came to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they said, and they that saw it told how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Woo-hoo! This man went and worshipped Jesus. Well, that's not in my little list of things to do to get, uh, to, 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 to get healed of the devil. Just get in faith. And what'll, ha what'll happen is you'll do what heaven requires. We just talked about it. You can, you can be separated from your money in the tithe, but until you give your heart to it and say, Jesus, you are Lord, I, I am thrilled to do this. Matter of fact, here's a seed to go with it. I, I'm just overwhelmed. I am so full of the Lordship of Jesus, the confidence that I have, that everything is turning out amazing in him, that I, all that I have I give you, which, by the way, the tithe represents. When you tithe, the Lord says, she gave it all. Moving right. Why don't I get along faster? Chapter 5, verse 27. We're addressing these same scriptures we looked at. And when she had heard of Jesus, the woman, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be made whole. How many of y'all know it's what she said and believed that God honored? But she'll say in his heart, be thou removed, be thou cast in sea, and not believe, and not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith. 
So there's that man that Smith Wigglesworth uh, uh, punched in the stomach. Where's that in the Bible? There's that other man, and he was healed. And there's the other man that had the ministry of spitting. He'd go down the prayer line. Just hope he didn't chew tobacco. <laughs> and he'd just spit in their face. And they'd get healed. And the Lord Jesus, you know, spit into the clay and crammed a new eyeball into that man's eye. It's what you believe. Now, you, you, you can't be off the wall, but it, faith will move the mountain. So it says in, where am I? Uh, and straightway, verse 29, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Uh, chapter 6, verse 39. That was good news. Faith did it. Verse 39, and he commanded them to make all sit down. We're talking about the hungry in companies upon the green grass. And they all sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And you read down there, you find out that everybody, everybody had a snack and some of them made a full meal deal. Yay. This is where we get that little saying that says, uh, uh, when you're grateful for something, it becomes enough. He thanked him for that, and we can do that. Mark chapter 10. Are you with me? I'm moving. Mark chapter 10, verse... Can't leave any of this good news, this, this good ending out. Verse 49, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called Bartimaeus the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he cast away, and he casting away his blind garment, the garment that denoted him as blind, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Now right there, he surpassed the man at the pool, didn't he? Oh, Lord, I've just been here a long time. And what? The blind man said to him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Yea. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I heard no pages. Are y'all moving? Chapter 5, verse 8. Here we are, back at the man at the pool. The man at the pool. Jesus saith unto him, verse 8, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. And took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Now he got in lots of trouble because he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. But... Uh, we don't care when we make, get made whole. Acts chapter 3. I had to got out on time, but y'all just put such a draw on me. Hallelujah. That's what I'm saying. Verse 4 of chapter 3, Acts. And Peter, he was asking an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, unto, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Expecting to receive. Expecting to receive. God's a better giver than we are receivers. But he was expecting to receive. Now he's in a different vein, but the expecting to receive apparently is powerful enough to open the gate of your heart and let the provision of God come in. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth rise up and walk. 
So we go back, and I'm not going to go there, but 2 Kings chapter 7, where the story is, uh, then Elisha said. So what's in the then? I looked that up, and it says in, in chapter 6, Syria gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. You ever felt like you were being besieged? And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it. I've been besieged before. It may not have been a besieging to you to look at me and say, ah, that's no big deal. But when you feel like you're besieged, you are. It's personal. It's, uh, it's what you can do. Other people's, they, they, they have faith for finances, but just the thought of missing a check or missing a, just petrifies some people, paralyzes them. They're afraid of doctors, on the other hand. Whereas other people like, ah. So it's, when you're besieged, you're besieged. And then they were in famine. So we have steal, kill, and destroy. He's never content just to just harass us. He wants to take you out. So the question is, is what will you have this time tomorrow? We've lost our hope in some ways. We've put our hope on a lesser plane, still higher than a lot of people. Still doing real good comparing us, but the calling on your life is not compared to somebody else. It's according to the calling on your life. If you don't even know you're called, you're not gonna, you might not even get saved. Kenneth Copeland said you could be called to be a prophet and not even get saved. Well, that's way back. But even if you got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, healed, delivered, and set free, but were called to be a prophet, but just wouldn't say yes. Well, my wife doesn't like those things, and we've seen some weird people on TV, and we think that's a little, so we're going to skip that calling. It could be that we're judged for that calling. Is that right? So uh, what about tomorrow? You can know tomorrow. Now, I'm telling you, you can know tomorrow. It, it may be uh, looking through a glass darkly, but we can turn, we can, we can adjust our life to catch or to gather in the calling on our life. It's not like God will say, well, in, in 2021, I'm going to do this, and two, I'm going to do that. Sometimes too much information, too early, us people will mess it up. So he just says, turn left and start walking. Well, God, I need more than that. No, you don't. More than that is Old Testament. That's a fleece. We are led by the Spirit. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. The stranger, they don't hear. So what are we hearing? If we hear his voice, what is he saying that we need to hear about this time tomorrow? He wants you to know before tomorrow. Why wait until tomorrow morning and you wake up and, you know, you're, you're there for that morning. And God said, we got big plans today. We could have prayed them out yesterday if we'd have known yesterday. We could have set things aside in our schedule that would have been conducive to what he said we're going to do tomorrow. We can do better. We don't have to be blindsided. We don't have to be surprised. Do you know where you're supposed to go to church? Sure you do. Y'all say amen for it hurts my feelings. <laughs> yes, I do. Yay. Do you know who you're supposed to go home with and make supper with and all that? Well, yeah, we do. We, we got her back then, and we're going to keep her and go. We know some things. We can know some more things. Well, what if, what if the, the pandemic gets me? Why are we thinking like that? About this time tomorrow, I'll be healed, whole, and healthy. 
About this time tomorrow, I'll be full supplied and wealthy. I got that much down. I got that much down. I know about tomorrow. And tomorrow, guess what I'll know? I'll know the next day or the next month. If you're called, and we all are, every one of us, we're being equipped for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're doing at River Church. We're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I don't intend to control this pulpit. I intend to yield to it. But I'm equipping. I'm an equipper. Not by personality, I can tell you, but by gift, by calling. But so are you. So are we. We all are. And sometimes that means a pulpit. Sometimes that means getting that, in, that experience in your life. But sometimes it just means going across the street or meeting someone in Walmart and saying, the Lord said, or I have, you know, you're, you're walking with a limp. Can I pray for you? And you go, well, I'm called to do that. Are you? Yes. So we got to get our hope ratcheted up. I want to read you something that's real precious to me. Uh, and I found this looking for videos for the four Wednesdays. Actually, it was six, and I didn't realize it. It was six Wednesdays that we've just come through that we were not going to have services. So I was looking, and I, I found some uh, stuff that had not been posted that we had done at the old church. And there was no hair on my chin. It was like I was clean shaven every week. It was like, how about that? Some of y'all may like that. I know Rita, my mother-in-law, she said, cut that stuff off. But Debbie was talking. And in this clip, she is 30 days away from leaving. She didn't leave in 30 days, but she went to sleep in 30 days. And uh, she was in this service. And so Barry, uh, the, the first part of it, the microphone did not work. So I'm going to read to you the first part, and then Barry's going to put the last part on. And I want you to pay attention. Now, this is not an emotional thing. This is not a thing about her, per se. It's the message that was there that so impacted me, and it should you. So she's uh, sitting there. She's sitting, which would be right here. And... Uh, I was so thrilled she was in church. She hadn't been in church in a while. And she, we, we gave her the mic, and it did not work, but she said, everything is turning out amazing because that's what we were ministering on. And then she said, I just felt strongly last night that God wants to just make sure that your hope is strong because it's really easy to lose hope. In fact, it's not like it takes, well, I've had a bad month, no, just feelings that just come during the day or circumstances can make hope kind of drain out of your feet. Does anybody know what she's talking about? It's important that when we realize I'm not, I'm just not full of hope, of joy here, that we restore our hope really quickly. She said, I've had to do that several times in the last few weeks. It seems like God always gives me something that will make me restore my hope. Sometimes it's a song, an old song, or something, and I'll just start singing that song, and my spirit and my belief and my hope will just go up. This is so powerful. And she goes on. She said, I just felt like there are areas. Sometimes you lose hope in one area, but not every area. 
And I just feel like that everybody in here has an area where their hope has either, either been diminished or just gone. It might be for some health issue that you've been standing for a long time. Or it could be some financial hope. Or maybe you've been praying for someone that you've been standing for to be saved a long time. And you kind of lost hope because it's been so long. A lot of time when you start praying for someone to be saved, they actually start acting worse. And that can affect our hope. Or a marriage that needs to be restored. Or maybe there's some prayers you pray that have been a long time coming. So God wants to restore your hope today. Okay, Barry. And beginning in uh, verse 7. Job 14. For there is hope of a tree if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. And I, when I saw that scripture, I thought, if God says there is hope for a tree that has been cut down, then there's hope for anything, which goes along with, the scripture, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible to God. And we sang it this morning. If there's hope for a tree that's already been cut down and uh, an old tree that's just dead and just a stump there, then there's hope for anything. So let God restore your hope this morning. I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you to have restored hope because this is a supernatural summer. And so you need to keep on hoping because you can't have the, your faith will not be strong without hope. So, Father, we come before you today in Jesus' name. And I ask you for every person in this place, wherever the hope's been diminished, wherever it's been decreased, or wherever, Lord, that it's just gone. And Lord, even if they've said, I just give up, I just have no hope. Lord, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit to restore hope yes. in our hearts for these situations. I pray, Father God, for a fresh word that lifts this hope higher than it's ever been before in Jesus' name. Lord, we put our trust in your word. Yes. And your word is working mightily on our behalf right now. Yes. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this restoration all over the room. Amen. Amen. Is that powerful? Yay. Well, where we're going, we're going to need faith. And for us to go there, we're going to need hope. And I thought she prayed a marvelous prayer for all of us. So let's just stand up and receive the work of that. In Jesus' name, Lord, we put on hope. As we just heard her pray, I put on hope. I refuse to be hopeless anymore. In areas, Lord, that are strong, yay. But areas where hope is drained out, and it has been a long time, and we've been pounding this nail over and over, and it just doesn't seem to go in. Lord, I thank you for helping us. I thank you it'll never fail. Your word will never fail. So we just choose. I just choose to hope in God. 
I just choose to go the faith route and not let my life be slung from pillar to post by circumstances and words and situations and threats from people and situations that don't seem to get better. I refuse it. Let's just refuse it right now. I refuse it. I refuse these things that have been there and just stay there. I refuse to let them grow into my life. So, Lord, we just put you on. We put on the Lord Jesus. And we say your grace is sufficient for us. And <laughs> whatever and however the next days and weeks go, we are established and we will not give up in that which cannot fail. And we give you thanks for a good word in our life now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, let me just read this scripture to you. I read it to you last week, but it... Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. You ought to write that down sometime. But let me read it to you in the Passion. And I'll read all four verses. He said, I waited and waited and waited some more, patiently knowing God would come through for me. Then at last, he bent down and listened to my cry. He stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. And an ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth. An ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth. Hallelujah. James tells us to uh, rejoice and be glad when we fall into divers' trials. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away. And I say amen. amen. I receive that word, Old Testament. It's who we are. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Would you lift your hands with me right now? And Lord, we put on ecstatic praise because you have delivered us. You're not just going to, but you have and we know that, and our hope springs forward. We put aside the anxiety and the dismal, the despair of this world and its stuff, knowing it's temporal fleeting and passing away. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us out of the miry clay, and all is well. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a good word. It's a good word this morning. Yay. I hope you'll meditate on it. I hope you'll find that scripture in Psalm 40, verse 2. I hope you'll remember that God loves me through over and over this accounting in the Gospels where God came through. It was dire. It was, it was nasty. It was a mess. And it always turned out amazing. Well, if for them, how much more for us? Amen. I bless you now in the name of Jesus. And I release you to be everything in God's potential for you. That everything that's in you will find expression and place in this world. And that when we go to heaven, you'll say, I've lived a good and strong life in the Lord Jesus.
Lord, we thank you for strengthening us by your might in our inner man. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.